You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and the West Side Community News. And today, we are talking Pacers Warriors. Steph Curry coming just shy of the record. And another, another, another close loss for this Indiana Pacers team. And it really starts and ends talking about this game with the close loss. I'll do another whole segment on close losses for this team because it is official. Pacers have lost 17 times this season. And over half of their losses now, nine of them, have been by less than five points four point possessions are possible by themselves if you want to really skew this stat four point plays are very rare so i'm being very aggressive here over half of their losses are by one possession really two possessions in some cases whatever they're so close they can't do it they can't close games we'll get to that in a minute we'll get to steph later because it was a story of the night and i want to talk about my night a little bit because it was awesome but pacers lose and it was a really interesting game because for a lot of this game it kind of felt like they were in control, honestly. I mean, they they were up by nine several times. They couldn't get it quite to ten, but they were up by exactly nine uh, twice. They were up by eight three times. They were up uh, seven in the fourth quarter even. They, they looked like they were controlling this game mostly because of their big offensive guys that you expect to be their biggest three on offense, right? Sabonis was unbelievable. 12 of 17 shooting, 30 points, 11 rebounds. Six of them were offensive. He had 10 free throw attempts. He was unbelievable. We talked about that yesterday when we were talking about the Warriors. Sabonis is going to have a huge advantage against the Warriors. They had no one for him, and he was awesome, right? Uh, no doubt he would be great. Malcolm Brogdon, 23 points on 7 of 14 shooting, 6 rebounds, 8 assists. He was also excellent. Also for Brogdon, fantastic defense on Steph Curry. He was tasked with defending Steph all night, and... He even said mid-game to Lloyd Pierce, I want to do this the whole game. I think I can do it. And he did a fantastic job. Full stop, Malcolm Brogdon. I think was the best player on the Pacers in this game, despite Sabonis' stat line. Brogdon was awesome. Plus five in 36 and a half minutes. He was fantastic. Levert, 19 points. Seven of 18 from the field. His stat line doesn't really reflect his impact because in the third quarter, he saved them from them losing this game right then in the third quarter. He saved them with some huge buckets, five assists for him. So, yes, some another inefficient night for him, but he... Had 19, stepped up when it mattered, kept him in the game. Everyone else was awful. Awful, awful, awful shooting the ball. Duarte, Turner, Lambert, Martin combined were 8 for 37, led by Turner at 1 for 10, missing all six of his threes, any of which would have given them the win. Duarte at 1 for 6, he's 1 for 3 from deep. He has 3 points. Turner and Duarte take a combined 16 shots and score 9 points. And Turner was fantastic on defense in this game. 9 defensive rebounds, 4 blocks, he was still a plus 4. His minutes went fine. But if he had just made one more shot, the Pacers win this game. Duarte, same deal. Could not get it going. And he's usually pretty good at, after his shot fakes, finding crevices to score a pass. He could not find anything, anything in this game after his shot breaks. Brissett was 3 for 7 lumping him in with the role player misses is a little unfair. He actually was pretty solid in this game as well. Uh, he, he had 8 points. But Lamb was 1 for 7 Like, he's only in there to score. Jeremy Lamb does not give you any defense. He's in there to score. Jeremy Lamb goes one for seven. He's basically useless. Keelan Martin was two for seven. You know, he, he can provide some defense. It, but they did not get anything, anything from the role, guys. It was so killer on a night where everyone else was doing well because Simonis was still feeding pretty well. But he had zero assists because no one could hit off of his passes. It was really, really fascinating game. Like, statistically, the Pacers played very well. 
and they got a lot from their good guys, and they just couldn't win. It was very weird to see a game shake out like this. You don't see games. Well, I do talk about the role players not stepping up for the Pacers. Like that's a thing that happens, sure. But Lavert could have been that guy, like the third guy that they normally need to win. They didn't get it, so it it was so strange through the flow of the game to see them have these three guys do so well and not end up winning. At the end, they had a shot still. They had, were up five with a minute and thirty three seconds to go. Right, Sabonis scores uh, at a minute thirty three to put him up one hundred to 95 on a layup. Steph immediately scores. Nine seconds later, hits a three. That put him one away from the record. The building was rocking. Turner misses a wide-open three with 105 to go. Curry ties it up. Brogdon misses a, a, an open step back with 36 seconds to go. Pacers force Curry to miss a three, and Miles Turner trying to jump up, grab the rebound to give the Pacers the ball on the final possession in a tie game. Only can get it with one hand. It bounces off his hands. Those on YouTube can see me like reaching up like him. His left hand, it's, it, I, I don't know what happened here. I want to give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt, but I might be I might be reaching here, admittedly. His left hand looks like it gets caught in Andrew Wiggins' jersey, and as he tries to pull it out to grab the rebound, it's a, like behind his right hand in terms of like coming up to grab the ball, and he it just deflects off his hands, goes right to Kevon Looney, who scores. Wiz, Wizards, Warriors go up to... With 13.4 to go. Pacers have a shot. We've seen this story a million times this season for them. They have a chance late, and they can't do it. They throw to Levert. They swing it because Draymond gets switched on. To Brogdon, Levert has a chance to attack, and he slips and falls. Ball goes out of bounds. Pacers don't get a shot up and lose. And just felt like another Pacers game where they just needed one other guy, one other guy to be in the flow of things and step up. They, they, they did a lot of the stuff that's been working for them, right? They were getting into the paint pretty well. They had 52 points in the paint. That's great, right? They kept the Warriors out of transition. They forced the Warriors to miss threes. They limited their three-point attempts and were selective. Although they didn't make them, they were 7 for 30 from deep. They at least took good ones. Like, Turner was 0 for 6, sure, but they were good six looks. He's just got to make those. Lamb's three looks were good, right? Like, they were more selective with their looks. They were sharing it a little better. They just couldn't make anything. They couldn't step up when it mattered most. And it cost them a game they should have won. The Warriors did not play well enough to win. Like, straight up, I think all the Pacers players will tell you that, too. This game was just so bizarre. The atmosphere was off because it was really a Warriors home game. I mean, everyone was there to see Steph potentially break the record. Every time he caught the ball, it was like the loudest the arena's been all season. And, you know, it, it was really funky. But the Pacers had chances at the end. And another big stretch this game that, that Curry brought up post game was right at the beginning of the third quarter, right? The, the Pacers did an excellent job closing the half, a fantastic job closing the half. They had 40 points with like three minutes and 40 seconds to go in the half. 349 to go. The Pacers are down 43-40. They go into the half up by 8, 55-47. They scored 15 points in under four minutes. They were up eight. It looked like they had a chance to cruise. And then the start of the third, the Warriors just right away evaporate that lead, right? They cut it to two, just three minutes into the into the quarter. And the Pacers still were up at the end of the third. They did a good job weathering the Warriors the rest of the way. But if that stretch doesn't happen, you know, the, the Warriors took the lead late in the third. The Pacers got it back. But if that stretch doesn't happen right at the beginning of the quarter, the Pacers could have been up six or eight going into the fourth instead of just two. And then the game completely changes, or excuse me, instead of four, and then the game completely changes when, you know, your lead is a little bigger in the fourth. You sub differently. You know, the, the, Sabonis came out with a few minutes to go in the fourth and came back in. But, you know, there's just some strange sub patterns that would change. Like, the whole game changes if that stretch doesn't happen as well. And that that's another thing that happens to the Pacers seemingly every game. They have one bad stretch. It just completely derails their game. It completely derails everything they could have done. If they could just have survived that one stretch a little better or made one basket in that stretch or whatever, gotten one more stop, they would win, and they just can't do it. It's, it's extremely weird that this team has so many games like this. And now, a crazy stat. 
over half their losses, like I said earlier, nine out of their 17 losses are by one possession. And that sounds insane. Like over half your losses by one. They have nine losses by less than five out of 17 losses. That sounds completely unbelievable. Like, wow, that is incredibly awful luck. And you know, they can't close games and they can't close games. But it, it, even though it sounds unbelievable, if you watch this team every game, it makes total sense. They just turn into to, to lemons at the end of the game. Like the, the, to use a car term, they just – they're not the same guys anymore. You know, Levert can't find good shots at the end, and Brogdon is is clutch right up until the very, very end of the games. And Sabonis has not been a reliable finisher at all, and the role players can't hit the threes when it matters. I mean, they just they just can't do it. So the end of games is going to be a story for this team for so long, and I think it merits more discussion, and I will talk about it right now. But it, they, they just have to figure something out, and I think it's going to come down to defense. I'll talk about that in a second. But they cannot have games like this where they're up five late, over and over and over or up by some amount late where you just think, okay, one stop, one bucket, whatever side of the ball you prefer, one whatever and you win. They're up five with 426 to go. They're up five with 249 to go. They're up five with 133 to go, right? So for that three-minute stretch from from five minutes to go to 130, they figured it out. And then right when it matters most, right when they just need the last one, the last bucket, the last stop, as we've seen so many times this season, they just can't quite do it despite having so many other things go right for them this game. So let's zoom out. I want to talk about this game uh, in two ways. One, I want to talk about their clutch struggles again because I have the same kind of take I've had all season, but I want to address something that people keep saying about this team. And two, I have a lot of stats from this game that make it one of the weirdest games ever for the Pacers. So let's do that. But first, let's take a short little break and talk about two awesome groups of people. First up, the good folks over at Truebill because did you know a lot of free trials, renew without your consent. It's a business scam that is out to get you. Stop letting greedy corporations pocket your money. Download Truebill to take control of your subscriptions. Truebill is the new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions you don't need, want, or simply forgot about. On average, people save up to $720 per year with Truebill because companies make subscriptions hard to cancel. Truebill makes it simple. Link your accounts. Truebill cancels unwanted subscriptions in one tap. And your Truebill concierge is there when you need them to cancel unwanted subscriptions so you don't have to. They have over 2 million users, and they've helped them save over $100 million. Stop falling for subscription scams. Start canceling today at Truebill.com slash LockdownNBA. Go right now. Truebill.com slash LockdownNBA. It could save you thousands a year. Thousands. Truebill.com slash LockdownNBA. Last one. Let's talk about Stance. But hear a lot about Stance apparel lately. I saw a commercial for it, I believe. Especially because they just launched their new line of active apparel, and it's holiday gifting time. And Stance is the coolest gift you can give. Their comfortable socks, shirts, and joggers are so comfy. It's hard to describe them any other way. They're different versus my old boring socks. I have a lot of socks with holes in them. Stance has come through clutch for me there. They're really changing uh, the mindset I have with clothing by offering more color and comfort than I've ever had. They were founded in 2009 and they represent a radical reinvention of socks, underwear, and active apparel with more focus on comfort and quality and creativity than other brands have. You've got to try it out. Stance believes that the perfect fit matters more than fitting in. That those who feel good do good. Go see for yourself. Register for an account at stance.com and enjoy 15% off your first purchase. Use promo code locked on at checkout to apply. Enjoy the color and comfort of a less ordinary life with stance. Stance.com, promo code locked on. Here's how much clutch play matters for the Pacers. I'm about to throw some stats at you that'll make you believe there's no way the Pacers lost this game. Thank you for making Locked On Pacers your first listen every day, by the way. I really appreciate it. A lot of listens last week as the Pacers went through. Hell and, hell and back, and still won a bunch of games. I really appreciate it, and I hope that I can continue that that positive momentum and coverage this week. Every stat that you want to look at to talk about the Pacers in this game, if you had told me this before the game, I would have th- thought they won, right? Let's, let, let's do it. 
The Pacers get to the free throw line 31 times. 31 free throw attempts. They hold the Warriors to just 14 free throw attempts, right? Pacers shoot a better percentage from the free throw line, right? Great. I would have thought they won. The Warriors shoot 26.7% from three. If you told me that, probably would have thought the Pacers won. Pacers only turn it over 10 times and get to the line for 31 attempts. I would have thought the Pacers won if you told me that, right? Pacers win the offensive rebounding game against the Warriors team that likes to dominate possessions. 13 offensive rebounds. I would have thought the Pacers won, right? The Warriors turned it over 17 times and fouled 25 times. I would have thought the Pacers won, right? So many numbers. You look at it and you go, how did the Pacers lose? How did the Pacers lose? One, the Warriors, you know, a lot of the Pacers' offensive rebounds were multiple on one possession. So it's a little misleading. The Warriors cleaned up the defensive glass. But the big one is the clutch, right? It just right when it mattered, all the stats stopped coming up Pacers. And that is why these clutch moments matter so much because you can do everything right over the course of the game. It's insane when you go through all the key stats for the Pacers, how many you go, oh, they did they did pretty well there. Or they did what they needed to do there. They did they played at the level you expect in this area. And then they lose. And the Warriors are really good. That's what really good teams do. They find a way to win when they play like crap. Like, that's fine. Losing to the Warriors is is fine. It's really fine. Like, it's not the end of the world. You're not going to look back into the season and go, oh, they should have beat the Warriors. But in this kind of game, when you look at the stats, it, it, it just really shows you how much this team is lacking in clutch situations. And I have to talk about it the same way I always have. And I am sympathetic to the they need a closer mentality. And I'll tell you why. Two years ago, two years ago in the clutch, with basically the same team, they had, they had all a depot for 10 games, whatever. Basically the same team. They were 28th in offensive rating clutch. So this year they're up to 25th. So they're actually better compared to other teams this season than last season offensively. Pretty crummy offensive ratings both season in the clutch. But the they uh, that isn't really where the issue is because last year they went 20 and 20 in clutch games and had the 16th best net rating in the clutch whereas this year their net rating in the clutch is horrible it's it's 25th and they're 4 and 13 in games with clutch situations it might be 4 and 14 now with different numbers after this game i'm just looking at nba.com's most updated before this game numbers the defense is still to me to me the biggest thing because like i i understand the lack of closer thing and i kind of just explained it right they were up five with four some four fifty something to go against the Warriors in this game, and then with one thirty something to go, they were still up five, right? So for the non closer portions of clutch time, they did a pretty good job. They ran their stuff, they got good shots, they were driving, they were finding Sabonis in these little curls, they got good shots in the mid range, right? They were playing fine, and then when they had to close it out and get the one more whatever, they couldn't get the stops, and that's where my defense theory comes into play. And they didn't have a closer, so to, I am sympathetic to the closer thing because two straight years at twenty fifth or worse in clutch offense. Yeah, you don't have a guy who can get their shot up. Vic was that dude, right? They were awesome in the clutch in the Depot era, right? If you go three seasons ago when Depot was on the team the whole season, well, he got hurt in the middle of that year. But, you know, you, you get better. They're 20th in offensive rating that year, plus 9.7 net rating in the clutch in 2019-20. 2018-19, right? Another one with Vic on the team for a lot of the year. Another good plus offensive rating. Uh, in the clutch, fifth in offensive rating that year, plus 13.3 in the clutch. 2017-18, the star-struck Vic year where he was hitting everything at the end of games, plus 16.5 net rating. That was second in the NBA, seventh in offensive rating in the clutch. So Vic was that guy for so long. They lost him. I am sympathetic to the closer argument. But I do not think – I see this all the time where people just throw it up and say, oh, they don't have a closer. That's why they're losing. And I just 100% do not think that's their biggest cause of concern in the clutch at all. They they did it from like I said from 450 whatever to go. I need to just get the number up so I stop saying whatever and sounding dumb. To 133 to go, they could do it. They could score, 
And then they could not get stops at the end of the game. They just had to get some stops. The Warriors scored every possession from the 133 mark on. Steph hits a three. Steph gets a figure roll. Looney gets the putback. They scored all three possessions. One stop, and the Pacers either have a chance to win or do win. One stop, right? So two years ago, like I said, even though they had a crummy offensive rating, they were a decent clutch team. Decent, not good. Decent. Because their defense was awesome when it mattered. It was awesome. That's really important. That's that's what made them a good clutch team. Their defensive rating in clutch situations finished sixth in the league that year. This year, their defensive rating in the clutch is completely horrible. It is 25th at 115.5. So that is where it comes down to to me. It seems like every game, I understand it, and then they play hand-in-hand, right? You can't get stops. The other team has easier transition opportunities. You're not cross-matched correctly. you got to call timeout. All this stuff matters, but they cannot stop anybody in the clutch. And that is where it all comes down to to me is they just cannot get the stops when it matters. Their defensive rebounding rate in the clutch this year is a joke. Like They just can't do they can't do it right. They, they, they just need to get a stop, and it's so baffling for a team that works on defense so much, is above average in the league in defensive net rating this season. Like They look like a good defensive and capable team for so much of the game. Right when they need one stop, one rebound, they cannot do it. And it's, it's unbelievable compared to what this team's been in the past for the, basically since Pritchard took over. And I, you know, he's talked about how his mention of us, of they need a star comment that he made in the athletic is a lot to do with these closing game situations. And in this game, he's a hundred percent proven right. Right. And that's, again, I'm sympathetic to that thought. I still think they just need to get stops at the end of games and they cannot do it. Their point of attack defense is already kind of weak. When the game slows down and they have to switch more, the other team draws up something for a guy who can be a closer. They just can't stop the guy. And that is where I think the Pacers need to improve so much to be better. Because, it, again, jarring stat, over half their losses have come in these situations. Now, they just have to be better. They have to find a way to get the stops. Their only clutch win, that game against the Kings, right? They got the stops. They held the Kings to 91 points. I think Laverne only scored like one time at the end of that game. But they were able to stop the and stopping the Kings is not some like heroic, ooh, we did it, we won a clutch game thing. But the Kings got to ninety one with a minute and a half to go, right? And then they didn't score the rest of the game. Davion Mitchell misses, De'Aaron Fox misses, De'Aaron Fox misses again, Halbert misses again, Fox turns it over and you win, right? They got the stops that game and they won. They only scored one point in the final one thirty. The closer people were right that game, but they got the stops that time and they overcame it because they could actually play defense when it mattered and so i'm gonna harp on that every time they lose these close games unless they do perfect defense and can't score once in the last two and a half minutes then sure yeah that's an offensive problem but if they had gotten one stop tonight one rebound on them but steph missed they forced the miss they win or they have a chance to win instead they they only once had a chance to really put it away and lavelle and that was even to tie the game not even to win it so that's still where i stand on these clutch situations it's maddening that i have to keep discussing it but the numbers keep updating and saying the same thing and that is that this team needs stops and when they do they cannot get them they have to be better in those areas they absolutely have to be and or else Steph Curry's gonna hit score five points in 60 seconds and you'll lose and that's what Steph is and I want to give the Pacers a lot of credit for their defense on Steph and I want to talk about Steph's nine a little bit because he didn't set the record but it was kind of a story in this game despite it not ending up being the story of this game like it could have been if he had broken the record. So let's do that. But first, let's take a little break. Talk about the good folks over at Boost Mobile. You listen to podcasts like this one, hopefully, for the power of knowledge. You switch to Boost Mobile for the power of saving money. 
because with Boost, you get the power of a free 5G phone. So you can listen to all the latest episodes of your favorite podcast. The power of three unlimited data lines for 30 bucks a month per line. So your family can all harness that brain power too. And the power of one of America's largest 5G networks. So you can do it all at the speed of 5G with all that money you'll save and all that knowledge you'll gain. Just how powerful will you become? Switch to Boost Mobile and find out. Get a free Samsung Galaxy A32 5G when you switch to one of America's largest 5G networks. More power to save. That's Boost Mobile. Disclaimer, free phone limited to new customers and one per line. Additional restrictions apply. Offer slash coverage not available everywhere for all phones and networks. See BoostMobile.com for more details. This night could have been really cool, and it still was really cool. Steph Curry in Reggie Miller's building, which Steve Kerr talked about a lot pregame, how similar those guys are moving off ball. And that was Reggie's biggest thing. If Reggie played today, Reggie Miller's stats would be unbelievable. Pat Boylan you know, on the radio call for a lot of these games, doing TV. I mean, he, Pat Boylan does everything. Pat Boylan is a grinder. Tweeted a crazy stat before this game about how Reggie Miller's stats kind of fit in with Steph, right? If if Miller takes – if Reggie takes the same number of shot attempts as Steph's gotten from three in his whole career, Reggie makes 4,739 in his career. Currently, Curry right now is at 2,972. So that is like 1,800 more, right? And Curry will probably get to that 4,700 number, but that's insane. Like, the, the era difference is nuts. But Steve Kerr gave a lot of dap to Reggie for being a great off-ball mover. But it, it's just ridiculous how cool it is to see Steph play like this and, and the night just being what it was. Like, I took a lot of pictures and videos because I thought it was about to be a history thing where he does it in, in Reggie's building. And now he'll get to do it, potentially at least, in front of Reggie, you know, in Madison Square Garden because Reggie's on the call for TNT. But it was really cool cool like like i walked out of the tunnel and behind me because he did announcing for nba tv and like little kids were yelling to tell me to tell steph curry to tell steph curry hi for them like that, that's the power he had it felt like a home game for the warriors for a lot of the game you don't really care about that i just thought it was really cool like how the night went and how fans embraced the game and how the pacers really made it a mission to shut him down and i want to give malcolm brogdon a lot of credit malcolm brogdon was the guy tasked to guard curry and he, mid-game, I said this earlier on the show, told Lloyd Pierce, I want to do this the whole game. I think I can do this the whole game. And for all of Steph's amazingness, he did not play particularly well tonight. Eight for 20 from the field, five for 15 from deep. 26 points, six rebounds, six assists, seven turnovers, right? So Steph went for this record. He shot 15 threes. He could have had it. He could have tied it right at the end, which would have been really cool. So he didn't quite get it. And yet... Yet, the Warriors crushed the Pacers in his minutes. Absolute decimation. Plus 17 for Steph in 35-21. So in his just under 13 minutes of sitting, the Pacers won by 15, right? That is a really interesting story of this game kind of stat to me is that, you know, Brogdon's defense is unreal. He played an awesome game. It was unreal in this game. He's had some lapses this season. And all the credit to him, but when, when Steph's in the game, the way the Pacers are trying to defend him, you know, they would send blitzes at him or, you know, send hard traps and hedges his way. So he's uncomfortable. He has to think or doesn't want to shoot the shot he gets. Other guys can just cut and duck in and have free reign to score. Free reign to score, right? Draymond Green got a lot of slips. He was seven for 10, 15 points. He was awesome. Kevon Looney, same deal. He would just turn his body basically towards Steph Curry. He's wide open in the paint. He was excellent too. Eight rebounds, huge offensive rebound, 14 points. Poor Kevon Lee in this one. Wiggins just cut and he scored, right? He missed all his threes and still was effective, right? They, they they just found ways to make Curry effective with these cuts and these rolls. And 
So the Pacers' defensive strategy on Curry was really good. Like they they found a way to slow him down. They kept him out of the record books, which is a pride thing. And I don't think that actually affected the result. Like I think stopping him from going off is the way, uh, especially in a game like this. But it allowed other guys. Otto Porter five for nine for ten points. Otto Porter not hitting a three and still scoring double figures. Right? Like that kind of speaks to what Steph Curry's impact was in this game. So on a magical night where I kind of thought he might get the record, watching him warm up, watching him talk or hearing, you know the. Pacers coaches and and Steve Kerr talk about it before the game and you know, I just thought he had a shot and he didn't take many threes early but it just always feels like he's gonna get it he averages five and a half per game he hit five in this one he almost tied it right at the end like it just felt like it was gonna be that kind of night like uh, it was basically everybody I talked to that was all I talked about and I probably a little overdid it uh, in some of my conversations at the game but um, it was so cool to see him get so close and it was also so cool to see how the Pacers you know, and Brogdon specifically stepped up in the pride department and said, I'm going to lock you up the best I can this game and then not let you get it. And they did a great job with that. Uh, but he still is just so good. And he, this is why he could be a closer because he draws in all those defenders where he hits one three and all of a sudden you're scrambling to shut him down no matter what. And they can get easier shots from all over the court. And that's what made him so good. You know, his six assists were basically a third of the of the Warriors assists. The Pacers only had 16 assists in this whole game, right? Like Steph was a machine at opening up the floor for other guys in this game. And that was so huge in this, in this slower, lower scoring game that one guy had that kind of gravity. So he didn't set the record, but he certainly dictated the way the whole game was played. Brogdon could not be as much of a force on offense. He still was good on offense, 7 for 14 for 23 points, 10 free throw attempts. Like he was still very good. Brogdon would have easily... Maybe his best night of the season would have been MVP kind of night for him if he could have won the Pacers this game, if they could have won this game. It's really not his fault they did not win. But Steph, just that's the gravity he has, and that's what everyone talked about before and after the game is even if you can slow him down, the way he runs around when he doesn't have the ball and the way he manipulates the defense when he has the ball just completely changes the game, and that's what makes him so special and makes him so loved by fans because he's that good. He makes the Warriors awesome when he's in the game despite not even having good games. and. It was magical to be a part of of a night like this. It was really fun. I really enjoyed it. And I know this segment wasn't something I normally do. I usually talk about some stats I really like or don't like or the Pacers being good or bad at this or some player I want to spotlight. But this time, I just want to talk about a night in history. Steph could have in Reggie Miller's building, right? It used to be called Market Square Arena. In Reggie Miller's building, broken the three-point record, right? It would have been really cool. And I know... He, he wanted it. He was shooting some at the end. He, he had a chance to tie it at the end, and I have a video of it. I think it was the loudest collective, like, oh, I've ever heard from a crowd when his three with 13 seconds left did not fall, even though Looney ended up putting it back in and getting the Warriors to win. I mean, it was just an unreal night, an unreal kind of game that you don't get to see very much in your life. So despite the Pacers not winning, I still had a very good time um, watching this game, and I know a lot of fans in the building still had a lot of fun watching this game, despite an absolute stinker of a closing quarter and third quarter from the Pacers. So fun to watch Steph. He couldn't, he couldn't get the record, um, but he still drove this game. Like plus 17 is unreal, unreal highest in the game by a mile. I think the next highest was Kaminga at plus 11. And that's just in six minutes. Like I don't think he was driving that Jeremy lamb was plus 12. Uh, he played in the right lineups. He did not necessarily contribute anything so great that, that made him plus 12, but yeah, no one else was, was getting close to Curry's plus 17 and, he, he, he drove the whole game, despite Brogdon doing awesome on him, the way they defended him in pick and rolls, the way that Draymond was able to cut into spaces and beat Draymond Green, just made Steph so impactful, despite him only shooting 
5 for 15 from deep, 8 for 20 from the field. So credit the Pacers. They had the game plan. Lloyd Pierce coached Steph way back uh, when he was an assistant with the Warriors in 2011, I believe, a long time ago. Steph was like a sophomore. So he knows how to do it to an extent. Uh, they, they had the game plan to do it. They did not let him get the record, but they couldn't quite defend him well enough to win the game, and he took over when it mattered, and that kind of is emblematic of the Pacers. The team with a closer found a way to get buckets at the end of a game, and the Pacers, the team without the closer, couldn't get the stops to match the closer, and thus, there it is. They, you know that Their clutch play will be a problem for them all season, and over half your losses being by less than five points will be something that players talk about forever. Though, you know, Every player on the Pacers has said something like, you know, if just a few of those are flipped, right? If, if two of those are flipped, you're 14 and 15, which sounds a lot better than 12 and 17. Only two of nine, 22%. It's crazy how bad the Pacers have been in these close games. They'll try to turn it around on Wednesday, but they play Milwaukee, who they've never been good against. Chris Middleton might not play, so maybe there's a small chance there. And Detroit on Thursday, who stinks and has lost a million in a row, but beat the Pacers earlier this season. They really need to win one of those, and winning both would be fantastic for this team. Of course, we'll break that all down. On this show going forward this week, and I have one and maybe two really cool guests for you guys this week. I don't want to spoil them yet, but they are fantastic. Lots more to talk about with you know Turner's storyline last week, where this team is headed. This game was obviously a glitch in the system because of Steph's record kind of changing the story around the game, but there's still a lot going on around the Pacers and their future, so got to address that. Thank you guys so much for listening. Tomorrow, talking... Uh, actually, I can't ruin it yet, but talking a lot about a lot of cool stuff. It'll be sweet. I promise you don't want to miss it. It'll be one of your favorite shows of the year. So thank you guys so much for listening, and we will see you tomorrow. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly. An AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.